How we doing? Cash, 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 cash. cash. Four faces. Cash cow, cash cow. Cool. Yeah, thanks for having me back. Hello, Rob. Yeah. Which I appreciate it. Oh, yeah, dudes. How was your meeting? My, my meeting was good. It, 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 it ended at five, but then we had drinks, which is why it's 8.04 and oh, I just got in. the way that most work. So you're relaxed. Yeah, but you know. Oh, he's still going. I, found, I found some nice desperados in a tin lo- locally. Oh, um, I don't like desperados. Uh, it's too strong for me. Well, they are a bit, but they're also big. So yeah. it's value. Yeah. That's, that's, my mate runs a brewery that, but he brought round a load of um, Ponzi, um, like... Yeah, hipster beers for the Tyson Fury Dillian White boxing match the other week. Mm. And he brought these two um, oh, yes. beers. They looked absolutely beautiful. IPAs, um, like map, like a flag of India, like beautiful, that, that light blue colour in the Indian in the Indian cricket shirt. It's that kind of sunny colour. And it, I realised as I took a sip of the first one, it's 10%. I was just like, I can't drink this. I took one <laughs> sip and I was like, the Ooh. first taste is lovely. The second taste is like yesterday's park bench. <laughs> Is, is that your boy that I met when we met before yeah. the Future Sounds event? Yeah, yeah. when we were at the, yeah. in the toilets in Tottenham. Who just ran... Yeah, let's not talk about the toilets in Tottenham. It makes it sound really shady. Right? <laughs> Was he wearing a Time Slave t-shirt and a jacket? I remember that guy. No, no, so no, he, no, no. I didn't see him in the toilets, well, he though. He randomly just bought a brewery, didn't he? Yeah, no, this was, um, me and oh. Craig were going down for a Spurs game and we bumped into, well, we were meeting, I was meeting Martin and Charlie to have a quick look at the venue the week before the game, the uh, gig. So it was kind of like a, uh, an exploratory look and they weren't even open despite the Google. Yeah, we didn't meet in a toilet. No, it's a refurbished, it's a refurbished um, Tottenham public <coughs> toilet in High Grove and it's actually like it's a nice, nice little pub and they do nice beers. Yeah. But yeah, he, he brought me a shit with And so we had a Tottenham encounter uh, last week or a week and a half ago? Yeah, in um, in the Antwerp Arms we went back to, didn't we? Oh, no, I didn't see you there. I saw you at the no. ground. <laughs> I saw you at the future side. Yeah, I, I'm so, so probably all a, all a bit of a blur after... It was a blur. I got in there early. That was with Craig as well, wasn't it? Um, okay. It's episode one. Sorry, it's not. It's see? definitely not. That's what happened. <laughs> six? Episode six, season one, I think. Seven. Okay, Season one, episode six of quite simply the best vaporwave podcast in the world, recorded in the UK on a Monday evening over Zoom. Uh, I'm happy to say I'm back, I'm recovered, and I'm glad because it's nice to be amongst friends again. And uh, to have been able to catch up with Joel, uh, who we've interviewed, aka Golden Living Room, for one of my favourite interviews we've done so far. Uh, He's an artist I've long admired and he's an absolute gentleman and I'm sure that everyone's going to really enjoy that. Uh, Delighted to be able to welcome back to the panel for this episode the one and only Tom, Mr. Patrick Fakeman, and a man who filled my size nine shoes so well. (sighs) Size nine. We brought him back for an encore. So it's Mr. Rob (laughs) Dyson. And do you know what? Thanks, It's always nice to come back from a holiday to find that no one's burned the place down. So thank you, guys. You are welcome. More than welcome. How's everyone been? We, wait, wait, uh, you weren't on holiday then, man. You were no, suffering. but it's a, it was a metaphor and you've spoiled it. Yeah. Oh, I, so I was going to roll with that and to say... Well, COVID you know, holiday. We, 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 we had a few parties, but other than that, it was cool. Yeah, or have I just outed myself as having not been ill after all? He sounded yeah. it. <laughs> he was out raving. That's what no, he was, I was doing. I was, I was rough. Was I'm going pizza. on holiday in a couple of days. So, um, yeah, the day after tomorrow as it happens. 
Oh, can you hear that? That's the sound of a oh, beard. That's, oh, that's a nice. That's a nice sound. Oh, the, 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 sound those that are listening can't see Tom's face and how satisfied he seemed by that little click. Yeah, there's uh, <laughs> ASMR in my ears. A- ASMR. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Enzo, Enzo oh, to clarify, you're going to posh bit of Ibiza, right? You're not going to sort of full English and uh, nightclub part of town. No, I've never been uh, raving there. I did do an Iron Apper as a youngster mm. once, um, but no, this is this is like um, we're going to spend most of our days, hopefully, in the pool with the baby, and then Lovely. we'll be on the balcony watching the new series of Stranger Things every evening. Uh, on that's grown-up stuff. Yeah, early evenings, well, early mornings, big time. Especially given that most of the crew, sorry, most of the cast of Stranger Things are now grown up, by the way. So yeah, it's, it's very so pretty. strange yeah, seeing photos of them now. Like, I kind of like, forgot now. about the series for a couple of years and then sort of seeing the reviews today, you realise that they are all like, yeah, it was like when my brother, I saw my brother having not seen him for a couple of months and he just suddenly like sprouted up to like six foot. Do you know that kind of lanky look <laughs> a couple of them have got? Like, it's mad. Mm. Is anyone excited about it? I mean, do you like some people are saying it's a, ste- a stretch too far? You know, they're kind of stretching the story, but the reviews seem pretty good. I, are they? I haven't seen the reviews yet. I'm, I'm not that. I'm nonplussed at the moment. What about you guys? I'm probably the same. I'm. I'll watch it, but at the same time, there yeah, are other same. things that will keep my attention. I, for sure, I'll watch it because ultimately, it's um. It'll be it'll be well made. Is this the last one? No, they've got one more afterwards. But I think that's that's no, the crux of the reviews it. is that they've somehow managed. It's it's more serious. It's darker. I think it's got nods to like um, Nightmare on Elm Street as opposed to mm. kind of ET, which the first oh, okay. series was a nod back to those sort of early eighties or mid eighties coming of age films. This is more like stepping into adulthood as the actors get older. I think they've even got a uh, like a. I don't know whether it's just. Uh, a cameo, but it's got Robert England, the guy who played Freddy Krueger. No, oh, really? Okay. You've piqued my interest. Yeah, so I think it's darker. And they said that it's got like they, I've seen words like it's terrifying. You know, like it's it's got the most scariest monster yet, and all that stuff. And I don't know, like I've, it's it's become a bit of a holiday oh, yeah. tradition for us to binge it. We've found ourselves away whenever the new series has come out. So I'm really excited about it on that sense. But I don't know. I, I feel like in the same way as Drive did, I feel like Stranger Things did quite a lot to push synthwave and that kind of culture yeah. so I've always had a bit of a soft spot for that kind of stuff but you're right it's at the core of it all I think well, not of it all but yeah a lot of people are influenced by those things that nostalgia yeah so uh, I went to the secret cinema just before the pandemic it was supposed to be December 2019 it was really good man yeah hopefully they'll bring it back and they'll do it again no it was a wild right and the guy that oh man what's his name the guy gets shot in the last series Oh, um, and actually shot, murderized. That's why I've seen not one series. episode of this TV show. Really, I was going to oh, say you're quiet. Tom, you're I was joking. thinking it might be a it's might be cool enough for Tom. I'm, it's not cool I'm knee, knee deep in um, Better Call Saul. That have time for this? Yeah. Yes. Oh, I've got 20 minutes left Ooh, of the most recent. That's really? serious. So, Do you know, I was delayed this call. Right, for I absolutely personally. loved um, <laughs> Breaking Bad, and I started watching the first series of Better Call Saul. But the guy I was living with, my mate Paul, at the time, he just he wouldn't take to it. And so, you know how it is. Like if you spend most yeah. of your time of an evening, like having a beer, like if you mm. live with someone, or you live with a housemate or whatever, it just doesn't happen. And I never find time to watch a box set like that on my own. It's the same if me and Katie don't get on with something. No. I just it either never get seen, or you know, I have to find some time from somewhere. So I've never got around to watching it, but I really do keep meaning to go back 
yeah, it's tense. Tense. What do you think it's better than Breaking Bad? It's a hundred times better than Breaking Bad. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Because really? yeah. I, I love Breaking Bad. I thought the last the last series of Breaking Bad was nonsense. All this machine gun Nazi plot. I thought it, it, it jumped the shark. I think they might have wanted to kill it. <laughs> it so did jump the shark. Back. The thing that worked well for Breaking Bad on that last season is it was the, the last episode was the same week as the last episode of Dexter before mm-hmm. it did its revamp. Oh, really? And Dexter was uh, so ridiculous that it made Breaking Bad look I think that's like a good the best TV <laughs> that you possibly have seen. So I, I can always remember thinking, because Dexter was on first on oh, like, the Tuesday context, and Breaking Bad was on the Thursday. Um, I always enjoyed Breaking Bad. I, I've watched probably the, a season and a half of Better Call Saul, but Rob, you've you've mentioned it more than a few times yeah. now for me to feel like I need <coughs> yeah, to get back I'm, into I'd, it. I'd get back into it, but I am um, give it give it another mm. go. It gets, how how long it, before? Sorry, how long before? This is the no, last. How one. long before it pulls back round to the beginning of Breaking Bad? That's though. what it's I mean, doing it? now. Oh, end yeah. of this season. Okay, and yeah. this so is you could it. theoretically to just jump on then to Breaking Bad and follow on the story. Yeah, I think people will do that. Except. Everyone looks 15 yeah, years old. Yeah, it's a bit like with the Star Wars films. Which is a bit if you weird. go back now and try and watch like episodes one, two, three, and then suddenly Luke Skywalker looks young, like and the and there's yeah. the the, anim- the cinematography shit. Yeah, it, by comparison, oh, yeah, a massive by gap comparison. In it. it must be the same with Stranger Things, though. I know, you, I know, you were just saying that, but are they still playing kids and these these? These actors yeah. are they look their, like teenagers now. They're, they're in their, their early 20s, aren't they? Grown up with them. Yeah, but they do look. Whereas because Better Call Saul's a pre- prequel, it, it really yeah. messes it up. I think like yeah. the, the benefit of it is that obviously Breaking Bad writing team's amazing and you know they've got all this experience behind yeah. them going into this prequel. So it's like the standard of writing is unreal, in my opinion, for this. All right, we've done... Um, oh, no, it's getting tense, We've man. done TV enough, I think. You can come back with a, a review for us when, oh, yeah. you've, when you've seen oh, the... One, one shout-out, actually, for, uh, yeah, uh, for Stranger it. Things. Um, Orograph, who's in our music scene, uh, releases on 100% Electronica, uh, is involved in the sort of sound design and composition team for Stranger Things. So, so oh, shout-out nice. to them. Really? I'll add another one, Vincenzo Salvia. He did a track, he's a synthwave artist. He didn't actually, funny oh, enough, yes. get picked up for a synthwave tune, but he did an incidental track. Um, I can't remember the name of it, but that's in series three, I want to say. Yeah, that's right, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Three or four. Yeah, I remember him no, shouting about it. Out. Right? Yeah, it was Crowd. last series, yeah. Yeah. Mm. So, anyway. Which feels like forever ago. I assume Pandemic's halted some of it, but at the same time, I knew they were going to take a big, long gap between filming anyway because it feels like it's been about three years since so there's so many things that feel like that though right like i mean i we talk about football mm. a lot because that's someone that me and tom are really interested in but you go pre-covid and then post-covid there was like a whole period in the middle where the team we support we didn't we didn't even actually see our manager in the flesh like he was <laughs> never in a ground with fans because there was that long period and it was almost like we had the uncali valley thing where they'd stick the telly on and they realized that the product was nothing without the noise of the fans so they were piping in um, it's almost like oh um, yeah, yeah yeah you know more more equivalent of of fake fan <laughs> noise in yeah it was really strange parts. and then now kind of we're back you know dare i say it, in in the real world again so uh, yeah You've been to a match recently, man. It must be nice. Yeah, we were, we were yeah, there Tom together. And I both went. We went to um, Tottenham Arsenal last Thursday, the week before last, and everything's gone quite nicely for us in the last week. So we're crowing, but you know, it's it's always a battle for us yeah. not to make this a football podcast. So I promise mm-hmm. to to go easy. <laughs> but if you are an Arsenal fan out there, never mind, eh? Never mind. <laughs> um, what, what I think you should take. What, what I think you should take from it, and I'll let you go on, is that actually it's just about being out with friends, yeah. having a good time, which we haven't yeah. done for. 
bloody ages. Yeah. It's just been this stuff where I'm looking at these boys on the camera. But yeah. at the same time, I've seen all of them within the last month. So it's... Um, I'm up for that, regardless of what you're there for. And we're going to see you in soon in, per- in person. Rob, are you coming? Because we've got Jack's show in Bristol in a couple of weeks' time. I know. I think I'm the only one that isn't making it, man, for various boring family reasons. But you guys are going to have a blast, man. I'm quite jealous. Because I didn't... I did, was it The Crypt? Was Tales the last one? Which was a bit crypt. dark for me. Tales from The Crypt. Whereas this one, I'm really Yeah, the lineup's on, so, stellar. Yeah. You guys are playing... Uh, Tom, you're playing for Iverson. Yeah, so night. we were rehearsing this weekend, actually. Um... Uh, yeah, it's going to be really good. So this is, this is the hotline show, isn't it? At the, at the yeah. exchange in hotline Bristol. Hotline Bristol. Yeah. Yes. Excited for it. Uh, yeah, we had a really, well, mostly good Iverson rehearsal on the weekend that was kind of cut short when the, the person with the keys uh, wanted to go home. So we got like kicked out of our rehearsal room. <laughs> so we're, we're half rehearsed for the gig. So, so, so the, the first, first half of the set will be good. And then the second half, um, we might have to sort of freestyle a bit. My, well, you, do, you normally do a freestyle cover at the end for an encore, mm, don't you? Yeah. Might have, we rehearsed that. Yes. It's, it's I've not, heard. Yeah. I've heard. Yeah. <laughs> that one. No, no, no. Not, oh, that, yeah. not that no, one. There's Something a new else. one. There's a new one. Not there's that a surprise one, one so for that, the show. Okay. It's been nice killing touch. in the name in the past. Uh, smells like Teen Spirit. And I think... Um, we've Tears for Fears. Yeah. You did Tears, Tears for Fears. The future sounds amazing. My brother says it's immense. Yeah, He wasn't sure about the idea of it. And then I think they've played it this weekend and he's 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 content. So yeah. we'll try and get some. We'll Rainbow. try and get some. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, we'll try and get some um, audio uh, in some way. I don't know how we'll manage to do it, but even if it's just um, snippets and we can get a decent enough quality of it, we'll try and get some sense so we can show people a bit of a sense of, of the vibe. Yeah, man, do. As far as I'm aware, there's twenty. I want to say twenty six, twenty five tickets left. Last okay. time we checked it out, which is pretty good going given that they've been selling them for two years and people drop off and... Yeah, the d- dates change and stuff like that. But we have got um, a stacked lineup, and um, I didn't get to play my DJ set and neither did you, Patrick, last time. So no. I, I hear that... I, well, I, I, I found out by looking at the poster that I'm playing. So I've been scrambling <laughs> together a set which I've been asked to promise isn't going to be too heavily synthwave. So I've uh, cut back everything I know and I've gone for some French house classics and a little bit of um, early 90s rave. Yeah, uh, I think it's an important point. For those that may not necessarily be into the synthwave scene, the idea is that the DJ room, which is going all day, isn't necessarily that much synthwave. I think I've, I've got a few, not that many, but the idea was just play whatever you want so that those that just want to float around hear something interesting... Um, Come on down. Are you all sort of that now? I know I was speaking to um, to Jay. Jay's excited about it. Yeah, uh, this idea of rehearsing for a DJ set is is uh, alien to me. <laughs> I think it'd be good fun, and I think what what I'm quite interested in is the fact that there'll be a lot of DJ sets for people that are playing that will almost encourage me to move from and I probably shouldn't say that if I'm promoting the event, but there's there's some great DJs playing, and I think that's what's going to make it quite interesting is that. You can enjoy a bit of synthwave, but also if you want to take a bit of a break from it, then you can listen to, you know, goodness knows what's going to you come guys. out of it. So I, I, what are you mostly playing in? Um, oh, yeah, you told us, 90s rave. Do you know what? Uh, I, the, the whole starting out. point of this was I was listening, I don't listen to Radio 1 much, my missus does, but they were, um, there was a guy who actually oh. could mix and it was on in the car. And they played um, Daft Punk around the world, and then he he dropped in this like oh, classic nineties house track in, and then I had the idea to use something I knew was quite similar. So I've um, 
I kind of come from a, it's Gypsy Woman is the mm-hmm. track. Uh, yeah, Crystal, Crystal Waters, Waters, I want to yeah, say. Yeah, 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 and yeah. then it just transitions so nicely over the... Yeah, exactly that. And it don't start because you'll never stop. I couldn't stop singing it for a week. Um but yeah, where there's there's a point where it just breaks down to the kind of vocoder style vocal on its own, and then that was just the starting point. And I started adding tracks actually. before and after, and I've done a little, um, I've sampled something from the house that Jack built, which is like this a cappella house track from back oh, in the day. Yes, as a little nod to Jack Dyson, who didn't get it, even though it was a reference to him as the promoter of this event. Jack uh, over Justice, come on, uh, Justice track. He's so, too young. Yeah. So a bit of French house and a bit of this, that, and the other. But yeah. Oh, please, please record your set. Right, I've already, I've already um, kind something. of done a little run through, so I will, I'll, 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 I'll share it. And yeah, it over. the same. I think I'll. Um, it's almost worth just recording it live to see how it comes out, and then just doing it that way. Yeah, we can. I mean, it's it's all content for the fan club. So anyone listening here who's a member of Club Flamingo fan yes. club, I'm sure we can send you shout some out to Glenn. cool stuff. Yeah, exactly. Shout out to Glenn, and who does the art for this pod as well. Um, I guess all this leads us quite nicely on to talking about what we've been listening to this week. I did send in mine Segway. from dispatches last time and I've got, uh, as usual, I've had to narrow down from a couple of ideas, but I'll, uh, I'll, why don't we kick off with Tom this week? Cool. Um, yeah, my selection sort of ties in a little bit with our interview. So um, the the record that's coming out, um, Golden Living Room record that's coming out on MPF was originally released on Dream Catalogue and my selection is a, dream, a new Dream Catalogue release uh, from the owner, HKE. Uh, and he did a collaboration with an artist called Zombie, who uh, sort of came to prominence like in a big way uh, in the sort of kind of post dubstep world when dubstep kind of moved over from the UK over to the States and um, kind of the British dance music was kind of splintering off in all sorts of directions and sort of Zombie was kind of doing really interesting things in this sort of uh, aftermath. Uh, so I think... Uh, oh yeah, like Zo- so Zombie had quite quite a high profile. He had like Radio One kind of residencies and stuff, and he sort of gave a leg up to HKE. Um, this was, you know, when uh, in sort of 2015, 2016, when HKE's career was was going in a really really interesting direction, and was kind of releasing on Warp subsidiaries and stuff, and it was a really interesting time for Vaporwave. So uh, they've done something more recently. Um, uh, I think the record's just called HKE Time Zombie. But the track that I'm choosing is called This Modern Chaos and it's kind of got this sort of dream punky ambient thing going on and then got this uh, abstracted kind of techno beat which is presumably done by Zombie. Very cool track. And how would you place it? Because we've had, we kind of touched on it in a, in a sort of previous episode where we were talking about his battles or discussions around genre. Mm-hmm. How how do you place this, or how did they, how have they placed this? I mean, this isn't something that you would sit within the vaporwave scene. Obviously, <laughs> there's a direct relevance because of the impact that Dream Catalog, massive impact that yeah. Dream Catalog has had and continues to have over the legacy of vaporwave. But where is he? Where is he now? Where are they now? I mean, you know, he he, he would probably be really annoyed. I mean, if he if he listens to this, he he'll be annoyed at us even mentioning the the vaporwave. Vapor word. It's got nothing to do with vaporwave, really. I think it's got a lot to do with this dream punk thing that he he's kind of been sort of intermittently plowing. Um, in that it's got these kind of lots of field recordings and stuff. I mean, it sounds an awful lot like Burial, um, and you know, oh, cool. Bur- Burial is not a vaporwave okay. artist, but every vaporwave artist likes Burial. Um, hmm. Yeah, it's it's in that kind of moody uh, sort of night bus home kind of uh, vibe, and it's got 
like rhythms that come from dance music, but you wouldn't dance to it, basically. Abstracted dance music. Um, but it's, it's really serious stuff. I mean, uh, Dream Catalog obviously had a big influence and launched some big acts, but like Zombie was releasing with labels and was, you know, at a profile higher than, than like any of us has managed. Like he was releasing on uh, 4AD and Hyperdub and stuff and, you know, getting getting press from from Pitchfork and, you know, mainstream mainstream press. So this is this is a big deal for HKE that he has this this allegiance and i think it gives some creed some credence to his kind of flexing on twitter that he's kind of above all of us but um you know (laughs) all right well let's check it out yeah this modern chaos hke featuring zombies Well, why don't you um, you kick us off next as the newest member of the pod? Mm. Oh, thanks, dudes. Yeah, so uh, so I picked one. It's it's not particularly new. I think it came out on Spotify uh, last month, but it was released on Bandcamp um, last year as part of a charity collection. Actually, um, proceeds from the album went to a nature nature protection organisation called Earth Today, and it's by um, like a Turk psych rock sort of electro group called Altin Gun Altin Gun and they're based in uh, Amsterdam but like yeah they, they sing in Turkish and they're largely uh, Turkish and Indonesian I think um, this particular track I picked is called uh, Chips Kola Kilit and I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right but it's very unlike most of their output um, it's not really psych it's not really uh, folk but it's this nice little electro 
number and the way she sings it as well is 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 almost like you know do, do, like quite robotic and uh uh, it's like that early 80s almost like Malcolm McLaren mm. almost want like Buffalo Girls to kick in but um, but yeah I like it man and I've been playing it non-stop for about three days so that's my pick of the so week and it's Chips Kola Kilit so it's a it's a Turkish folk group out of Amsterdam <laughs> yeah. shit. apparently the guitarist was like I want to put a band together but you all got to be Turkish or be able to speak Turkish and I'm going to we're going to make kind of Turkish psych rock folk music mm. And then for the the last album they did, it was a lot more kind of synthy electro influence. And I think they used like an 808 on it and other stuff. And they said it, they wanted it to sound deliberately unlike their previous material. But I, and I really like this stuff because I like early like, electro. Did you stumble stuff. across this through that compilation um, or is this a band that you were familiar with before? Mm. No, it was. I just went down a complete rabbit hole. I was saying to Tom earlier, a mate of mine, who you would think I might have discovered it from, long distance Danny does a show on Unmade Radio, and he, he plays a lot of le- left field hip hop and like mad stuff and like a lot of psychedelic stuff. But um, but no, I just went down a rabbit hole like last week, and it was like, oh, you might like this, you might like this, Spotify of all things as well. What a, what a knob. But um, but I came across this, and I was like, this is really good, man. I almost thought it was Japanese at first from the pronunciation of the uh the lead singer and i was like that isn't japanese man and i dug into it and it's yeah they're turkish so i hope you guys dig it
you know what, Rob? I love that track. Um, so thanks for picking that. And I'm going to give I'm going to give a little look oh, into their, their back catalogue. But can I can I share very quickly? And now Martin, we'll get you to do your your pick of the week. Can I share a rabbit whole story? Yes. You know what? Um, this is mad, right? Um, this is so in my in my mid so in my late teens. So I was into Happy Hardcore Jungle, all this rave music that was on pirate radio stations then. So if you lived in certain parts of London, anyone from London would know this. Certain stations would transmit from tower blocks, which were the only things that would get tall enough yeah. clearance to get you a signal through the illegal frequencies that were left over to transmit pirates. Oh, Lenny Henry. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There'd be um, the station I used to listen to would, would transmit from South London over to West London, where I was from, called Dream FM. And there was a track I heard on a station. I had a, had a tape recording of this, and I carried it around. It was my favourite set. I can't remember the DJ, and I can't remember who, you know. I can't remember much about the show, but I had this tape, and I know I was obsessed with it. So there was one track in particular I've never forgotten. And I've searched high and low over the years since, and I can never find the tape again. I've um, it, it had a sample of um, a track called This Song Is For You. And um, the funny thing about it is that I searched for 15, 20 years on and off on YouTube, different places, using all the vocals I could think of from the vocal sample. Didn't get anywhere, didn't get anywhere at all, even though I know that this track had, had, had been made. And it got so much to the point where the obsession hadn't left me that when Tom, myself and Jay were working on the second Innocence record or the second Three Piece Sweets record, I insisted that we made a version which is quite faithful to my memory of this track. Uh, but, it, but it's so oh, far man. removed from the track that we, with the input of Tom and with the input of my brother, it's different enough. Mm. And then what should happen by I got an email on Friday from a record label I happen to still follow. And they've released this thing uh, called Just Another Label Unreleased is what they've called it. And it turns out that it was actually never released. So there's a reason why I couldn't find what? it. One DJ had it on a white label. So basically the equivalent of a test pressing or a dub plate. One mm. of those records, probably the dub plate. So it would have been given to a pr fairly prominent radio DJ, played 20 times before the record worn out, forgotten by everyone, nothing ever happened to it. But I had that tape and was obsessed with it. So I've carried it with me for 20 years into my adult life. No and then way. I got this email that is wicked. and I was like amazing. Yeah, it's mad that the song is called This Song Is For You I'll, I'll check it out and I looked at it and it was that track it was I, for I, you I was so like emotionally blown over by it I yeah. emailed the it's guy making me weak the just thinking label. about it um, because I used to buy records from him on mail order in the 90s like, and it, obviously he doesn't remember me he doesn't know me but he remembers doing his business in that Should way do. 25 years ago and he was kind of just emotionally blown over it as well because I think that's why oh, all of these man. old ravers are still doing this because they're nostalgic it's like we're, we might be picking up on 80s and 90s stuff that we may not may or may not have even remembered but there's people who are kind of resurrecting their own teens as they've reached an age in their lives when they're able to go back and spend more time DJing again. And this guy's kind of recently resurrected this whole business that existed and then kind of was dormant for 10, That's 15 nuts. years. And it just so happens he had a random conversation with someone who found a DAT tape lying around and said, would you like to put out this EP of unreleased records that never saw the light of day? <laughs> and so this record I've been obsessed about didn't exist and it now does and it Never arrived in the post even. today and I'm like buzzing oh buzzing. And now that's I feel, beautiful I feel kind that of bad serendipity. me and Tom and Jay have obviously done this version of it now and it'll feel like a bit of a <laughs> copy to anyone who accidentally happens across the two scenes but I think there's enough difference did you send it to the well, guy did you say oh look we sort of tried we to we've got some oh, finishing okay. touches to put to it but it'll be on the next record I spoke to my brother about it and um, like I think it's a it's a 
it's a homage. It's an homage. It's a, a labour of love. An and homage. the fact that we've we've kind it's of created this track off the back of a memory that I have of 25 years of listening to rave music or 20 years of That's listening beautiful. to rave music and then throwing the influences of my brother and my mate Tom who don't listen to it in the same depth as I do. We've kind of come up with our own interpretation anyway, so it's cool. But I thought I'd share that with, with you. That is, that is a lovely Great story. Callback. Um, my choice, Zombie, is probably best known for um, making a record called Where Were You in 92? And he, it's basically a vapor rave record. Like, so he he kind of remade tunes that he'd kind of half remembered from from pirate radio yeah. sets, and kind of mm. uh, made sort of Frankenstein monster combinations of of different rave tunes and stuff, and made originals in using the same kind of techniques and instruments that they used. I to think inside. I do know this guy better yeah. than I thought I did then, because I've heard that, and yeah. that is exactly the kind of concept that we had for, yeah. for Innocence was this idea yeah. of creating a memories of a rave that didn't exist but might yeah. have because yeah. you had the tapes and you can vaguely remember them good name too Martin where, where were you in 92 yeah no we'll check that out as well I'll post a link in the description Martin or Patrick Fake. what have you been listening to this week first of all lovely story thank you really nice you know it's um, it's rare to come across a heartwarming story of music let's be honest mm. Um, bear with me. Um. Oh, oh! Was that right? You've got something big coming. Yeah. You better oh. have something big. You can't, no, 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 you no, can't no, drop was... the mic like that and then pick something shit. Tom's blushing. No, I, I was going to do it down in the corner, <laughs> but I thought, no, let's just do that. Um, so this week, I was umming and ahhing, and I think the one thing that that came to mind, which I think everyone needs to remember in life, is that fake boobs don't jiggle. <laughs> No, they do not. They do not. Now, I'm not. I'm not towing the line here, uh, Enzo. But towing the party. I've really again. enjoyed. I've really enjoyed the album. Oh, Mac, Mac's album. Really enjoyable. Mr. Really good. Hadn't had a chance to listen to it when it came out. Maybe uh, two weeks ago. I want to say I think it three was. or four weeks ago, actually. But time flies. Yeah, about a month, God. I think. Okay, so as of the 23rd of May, it's been four weeks. It took me to listen to the album, but this week's been a bit more, um, a bit more doable. And uh, I'll be honest, opening track. Hmm. Is that, is, that, is, that, is that what we're doing? Is it hmm or is it MMM? How, how are we pronouncing it? Hmm. hmm. I'm going to go with hmm. Hmm. Good future funk. Uh, you know, Mac stuff, as we know, is very enjoyable. We've been, uh, it's been a few of his albums that have come out via your label, of course, um, which I've really, really enjoyed. And we've had a few conversations about Mac himself and such like that. But the album, the album, it's just, it's been decent, fresh, exciting. I've really enjoyed the whole one. But I actually, personally, for me, the, the best one was, was track one, which was mm. And um, that's what I'd like to play this week.
thanks for picking that, Mark. I'm sure that uh, Mr. Mac Lacrosse will be pleased to get a shout-out on the show. There's been, like, this long-going conversation that we're probably all aware of. We know who he is. And no one has <laughs> yet do. snagged the, the, the real kind of identity behind the bird mask, which he wore mm. on the... Was it the Flamingo Fest? I think he's done a couple of shows now where he's donned the, uh, the famous, now famous... Uh, the bird mask and i think we we don't get a sense of somebody's height yeah that's fair we need to have some kind of running there needs we need to think and we'll have to do this as soon for the next episode we need to think of a big enough prize that we can just sit in the background like one of those jackpots that no one ever wins do you know what i mean like yeah like like the forever synth one the forever synth was about to say (laughs) raffling it off in the end yeah no bugger ever got it yeah you made it too bloody hard i think we just need to have this thing just everyone knows when they're listening to it's kind of sitting in the background has anyone worked out who mac lacrosse is yet because i'm so surprised that no one spotted it but um until you gave us a big hint yeah yeah I yeah, didn't. it's all in the name, you know, it, 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 which we will not repeat. And it, and, it, and it doesn't help for those listening because they weren't there when we got the hint. But I had absolutely no idea, and I and, and I think no. there were about a million people... guesses before, not a million, but you know what I mean. There were a lot of guesses before it came through. But close to, in a more serious note, the production is on point. The samples mm-hmm. are fun, silly. I think he doesn't really take good. himself too too seriously. I think that's what's interesting about Matt yeah. Lacrosse, and the, it sounds very clean. He's um, picking a lot of the similar reference points that we might pick but there's some real left field ones like in the first album I remember him sampling Right Said Fred which is a crazy one and he's done similarly <laughs> like side B because I was listening to this for the first time in a couple of weeks the other day with the test pressing arrived for the vinyl and um, as I flipped over the, the wax I forgot just how like in your face some of the samples were on side <laughs> B and uh, I love it it's a lot of fun as a record and uh, it's done amazingly well so shout goes out who does out the art me. for it yeah, does it himself does, does, does Mac look really yeah. okay yeah, cool yeah, yeah. Is, and, and is that has that been the case for the previous albums as well I think so I think he's done two full albums and a few tracks here and there that he's released mm-hmm. but I think we've done two full lengths so, no three three we've done three the first one didn't go to vinyl that's why I'm getting confused the second one we did Satisfaction Guaranteed and then uh, this one Fake Boobs Don't Jiggle which I was trying to persuade him to call FBDJ um, but he said no fuck it blame me I'm going with the full <laughs> unabridged title and I don't know whether that helped but it certainly got to number one on Bandcamp in the, in the genre has there hurt. been any kickback to the name? Has any, yeah, I think we're, we're a bit oversensitive. Yeah, I, I mean, that's the thing, because when you're thinking about things from a business point of view, and we're in a scene where it's an enlightened scene, I like to think of that in a positive way, where people are quite aware of people's feelings, we're quite sensitive to issues, and we have quite a good dialogue about most things. Um, that perhaps when you're running a business, there's a slight sensitivity from my point of view or my brother's point of view that you think about what the kickback could be by... Mm. not saying something on an issue or saying something and then you know how people will receive things but I think it's fun and it's quite clearly fun and um, there were no issues because it's true as well they don't that was very diplomatic of you as well wasn't it look at that mm. practicing try have yeah. my pick yes oh yeah we, got, we, got, we, haven't, we haven't asked you uh, Enzo what's your pick of the week well, I've been listening to a lot of, and I'm sure Tom has as well, I've been listening to a lot of Chaz and Dave, a lot of Barry Manilow's <laughs> yes. Can't Smile Without You, which, um, oh, which are basically dude. songs rabbit, and rabbit, bands rabbit, rabbit, which rabbit. have been appropriated by Tottenham fans over the years. They're the kind of songs that you'll hear in the ground uh, 
appropriated into chants or in the case of Can't Smile Without You, it tends to be the pub nearest to the ground, wherever you are. It's the last song they play at about quarter to three when you're kicking out for heading to the... So when that song comes on, you'll hear people singing it in the streets because they know it's time to leave and get to the ground for the game. So it's kind of got an emotional, affectionate place in our hearts. But obviously I can't pick Barry Manilow for this podcast. But I thought I'd get no, it in there because it's another subtle reminder that we've done quite well in the football recently. <laughs> um, but I don't know how many of you picked up because I didn't pick up on it immediately, but Dan Mason dropped... Um, uh, yeah, I didn't. Yeah, well, I, did, well, I, I, I only picked up on it on Sunday. Uh, he pick, he's dropped a new set of tracks under the Electric Elevator series. Um, well, part two came out on, on Friday anyway. And there's one track in particular which grabbed me. Uh, Morning Brew, uh, it's a track called Morning Brew, it's a kind of dystopian office music, it's got electronic jazz vibes, and I guess you could say it kind of comes from the midi vaporwave end of the scene, and as far as the closest reference point to another artist, it's I'm definitely getting eyeliner in a major way, um, as opposed mm. to like the Robert Parker office wave kind of vibe mm-hmm. if i had to describe mm-hmm. it it's yeah. the kind of music and this track in Bart particular Graft. this is um yeah Bart, Bart Graf's another good example yeah um it's the mm. kind of music that you'd this track in particular that you would jam on the way to work if you fucking hated your job <laughs> <laughs> i love the names of the tracks like coffee break yeah uh, it was uh, like requesting holiday leave or something it's fun and it's, that track that you picked man the morning brew has got that sort of faux uh, harmonic in it, like really obviously fake yeah. harmonica uh, bit in it and uh, it also reminds me yeah, of that nice little piano ah, who's the guy um, James Ferraro so it's yeah. not quite as dystopian mm-hmm. as that but it's got that kind of um, weird garage band vibe they call it utopian the don't they like utopian yeah. virtual's the name the name of that style isn't it but like yeah, iron- so- ironically utopia isn't it yeah and I feel like um Dan's become quite smart to the idea of being stream safe in the sense that we talk about copyright and sampling a lot on this podcast because it's a live issue. It always will be with Vaporwave. Mm. And um, it's interesting that you go all the way back to those echo jams, but at the same time, almost at exactly the same point, there was this utopian virtual kind of James Ferraro stuff, which was driven by garage band kind of sounds and was entirely composed. Which are royalty free, aren't they? It's kind of playing yeah, exactly. with those naff royalty-free sort of ideas. Uh, it's yeah, clever. Yeah. And yeah, so so yeah, I, I, I'm going to go with my pick this week being, uh, it's from part two of Electric Elevator. It's a track called Morning Brew. And um, I love this kind of stuff. I want it on vinyl, Dan. So if you're listening, we need to talk.
So that's the picks of the week out of the way. Um, I'm just trying to think if there's anything else on the agenda for the week. Ah, 100% Electronica. They've obviously announced uh, the third uh, in the installments of Electronica. And I was at the first one in Brooklyn. Martin, you're joining us in Brooklyn yeah, for the Yeah, I third. thought I might. I, I thought I'd just let you guys know. I might come along. I, Lucky I, bugger. If I can find a sofa, it might be helpful. Don't worry, we'll sort something out. Well, I'm still waiting. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I doubt George is listening right now. He's probably got quite a lot on his plate, but it's a polite reminder that we are just trying to clear up a couple of things so that we've got the adequate permissions in place to film, because that's kind of the vibe for us. Uh, Obviously, uh, as a label, mm. we want to get out there for the tape swap the day before, but the most important thing from our point of view is to get some filming, because this is going to be a massive event. Um, and it's all good and well having the stock for the first uh, two Electronicons, but I think if we can take the cameras and get Chris and get the cameras rolling for nobody here and make a bit of progress there, there's going to be a lot of people we can grab there and then. Yeah, um, big time, so man. So, yeah, I think, that's a big... I think it's, it's quite... For me, it was... I, I didn't go to the first one, and um, I heard a lot about it from you guys as well as others, and I think that the big part of it is the idea of the space looks amazing as well like it looks like a really cool open sort of space to, to have to have an event like that so I'm looking forward to it I the thing I've, I've when we went last time in fact every time I've ever been to Brooklyn ever since I discovered it there's a pizza place called Roberta's so I'm your brother be, loves that place I, it's my favourite place I, I took yeah. him there because Katie yeah, found it as I was saying to you before about wherever I'm going on holiday it's like do you know where you're going? No, I've got no idea. Katie found it. Katie and it's knows. like when we She's went away, <laughs> Katie found this place called Sundays in Brooklyn, which anyone who's from there or has been there will know. It's amazing. Um, that's like the breakfast joint to go. There. And then there's, mm-hmm. there's Roberta's, which is the best pizza, and they're both in Brooklyn. Is it better than Pizza place. Express on Chiswick High Road? Chiswick Express on, <laughs> on uh, Chiswick Pizza Express. <laughs> Chiswick Express. Wow. Express on the Pizza Chiswick, High Road. Chiswick Express <laughs> on Chiswick High Road. I've been going to since I was about six years old. So that's got like member berries for me. Mm. And our family, it's a family. <laughs> Enzo, Pizza Express is not that. It is. It's been around since the 60s. It was around since the 60s. Yeah, my mum used to take me on a Friday when I was, before my brothers were born. It was just me and my mum. We'd go there. I'd have two pizzas and then a chocolate fudge cake. And then she'd do her crossword, and I'd just sit there colouring. Two, in, like on a Friday, Two we'd be there for hours, mate. We'd be there. She'd pick me up from school. He's we'd a be there man like these days. I was felt then. I was thinner then. <laughs> I'm fat now. Jeez. Two pizzas. Could you eat two pizzas uh, now? I saw you at Future Sounds. Uh, yes, I could, but I wouldn't advise it <laughs> because I don't have the metabolism of an 18-year-old anymore. Yeah. But no, Electronicum. It's a stacked line. It's going to be a great yeah. one, man. It's um, there's and some impressive people on the bill who are sort of slightly outside vaporwave as well, sort of neon, neon Indian. Because say hotel pools is more chill yeah. wave stuff. That, that, associated. That's a big part of it for me as well. As I was looking through the acts that are kind of higher up the billing as well, and if you if you YouTube them or you Spotify or whatever you want to do, there's it's a it's quite diverse actually in terms of who they're bringing in which is quite I, I think that's quite impressive and quite interesting well there's like a massive show that Bay's, Young Bay's put on in LA which is about 10 yeah. days later which was originally we were flying out for that oh, and we're cool. going to this that's going to be the tail end of my trip um, and obviously my brother's got to come back because his second child's going to be due about a week after that so we're kind of like getting there oh, for man. Brooklyn doing a bit of filming in the middle catching the Bay Show and the Bay Show is just as diverse I think that's got like um, I think St. Pepsi's playing there and that's George Clanton Young Bay Macross maybe Night Temper I don't know it's got a stack lineup anyway but it's like oh, the, it's Night Temper jeez the, yeah. the, um, the 
the beautiful and the famous from the future funk scene and the vaporwave scene. Two massive shows. And that's the thing, isn't it? It's like everything is coming back. It's there for summer. So like, I know we got in a bit early and we were really lucky with the weather we had for future sounds, but this is kind of like America's mm. coming out into outdoor, sunny, summer, welcome back the I think, scene. I first. think it's about time. As I, I, I genuinely think in terms of the live scenes in the various scenes that we, we talk about on this podcast, I think the US is slightly behind now. They, they, were, they were a bit ahead in the last couple of years, but... I think the UK has opened up much, much quicker for varying reasons. And I Possibly. Think it, I'm, I'm, but I'm glad to see the US is uh, it's doing its thing. They're stricter with um, Tom, Tom, you t- mask mandates and stuff. It's uh, People are, are stricter and more cautious, you know, yeah, for, for better, or, better yeah. or worse. Uh, yeah, I think that live events here have been, you know, operating more or less, you know, it's business as usual here. But Branded I think, country. Yeah. It's loose as hell. <laughs> and it, it, it's, yeah, it's strange yeah. it's that way around, perhaps. It yeah. is. I agree. Yeah. yeah. But then, you know... Tom, weren't you talking about a UK... Uh, yeah, so sorry. I mean, I've, I've literally just seen that... Um, sorry, fake one. So yeah, what you're saying about UK live events. So the, the label uh, Pure Life, who are sort of associated with the dream punk scene, um, and they, you know, they've got an artist called Rashida Prime, who I think is unbelievable, this kind of cinematic uh, sort of uh, sound design kind of thing. Uh, they're doing a two-day festival in London on the 29th and 30th of July, and it's called Pure Live. Um, uh, first day is at the Glove That Fits, which is, um, I think, in Dalston. Yeah. Do you know the Glove That Fits? I've heard of it. Yeah, um, I've not been, but I've heard of and it. And the second day is at Eclectic, which is in uh, oh, nice. sort of Waterloo area. And I've been to that venue before. Very cool art space. Um, I so like yeah. the split venue thing as well. Yeah. yeah. So, we have a similar mm, festival in Wales called uh, in Cardiff called Sund S W N D Sound mm, but in yeah. Welsh and it's split across Sund. all the venues like there's about maybe I don't know as many as 10 15 venues I don't know if it's quite that many but there's a ton oh, of little cool. bars and stuff that are part of there's a very very collaborative um live music scene in Wales and that that I like that idea of taking the party from one place to another. Yeah, we should um if possible mm. have a, have some representation at, at this event because it's you know it's a it's in our world, but right at the ambient kind of side of things. Um, they've got uh, the artist Yulali playing, who I, th- I believe is from cool. Japan. I don't know whether they're Japanese, but live in the UK or whether they're coming over to play the show. But um, oh, wow. it's the and I'm, I'm looking at the flyer right now, and it's beautiful. Like their their visual aesthetic is is on point, pure life. So um, I, I'd, yeah, I'd imagine they're going to be that. some pretty spectacular shows. Can you share? We'll share the link in the description as well. Yeah, for sure. These, we need to give these things signal boosts because it's not just about. Obviously, we've said this all along, but let's just restate they, it. They literally announced it at eight pm, which is when we hopped on the Zoom as well. So it's quite um, serendipitous. Hot off the press. Nice. Well, by the time we publish, we'll see. But yeah, no, we'll give it <laughs> old, old news. Old off the press. Yeah, yeah it's been cancelled. <laughs> No, no, no. <laughs> Covid's back. We've all got monkeypox now. Oh God, yeah. Let's not let's, not anywhere. Anywhere. let's let's talk about nicer things. So we um the, yeah. we this has turned into a bit of a bumper pod, which is nice. Um, and it's nice to be back, and it's nice to be talking about music, and have so many exciting new things to talk about. But mm. we obviously got back to we got together Tom and myself uh, with with Joel Golden Living Room, um, who's an artist who's got. He's still producing now, and he's extremely talented. He's um, an extremely accomplished uh, musician. He, I think, he's like you, shares the profession of being a music teacher. Yep. Uh, he's he's been around the scene for long enough that he has a perspective that a lot of us don't. 
having seen the many iterations, the ebbs and flows, the kind of peaks and troughs, and all of the dramas in between. He was part of uh, Dream Catalog at the time when he released the album that we're releasing on MPF on vinyl for the first time, which is uh, uh, Welcome Home. And that was one of the reasons why we got together to talk to him, but also just because he's a lovely guy with an amazing perspective and he's really interesting to talk to. Uh, Tom, I don't know if you wanted to add anything on that or if any of you guys have got anything to kind of say about. Just that he was and... a really fascinating sort of uh, chill, level-headed dude. And, you know, we, we kind of floated uh, the question of whether he was playing at Electriconicon. Ele- that yeah, <laughs> saxophone. Whether he's going to play a saxophone at the electronic <laughs> uh But uh, yeah, he was maybe, maybe not. Like he was totally, totally chill about it. You know, um, I feel like so many other people are sort of kind of desperately clambering to get them or to get their favourites onto that bill, and he's like, if I get asked, I'll do it. it, happens, yeah, it, happens. it happens. He was kind of thinking, this is a conversation we kind of floated earlier on. It's like, how do you like pick and choose your battles? So he's got kids and it's also about having those conversations about picking your winners. You know what I mean? Like you have to choose the things oh, that yeah. you're doing. He obviously played at the first two. So, um, you know, in, in a different way, he's also a legend Maybe of the live scene now because these are the events that people are going to look back on because the amount of people yeah. that went to them. Rob, are you suggesting that his girlfriend just said, no, son? Nah, nah, I think it's because yeah, it's because he, he said, um, "No, I'm not going." Baby, he said his fourth baby is on the way. I think that's that's <laughs> yeah, the main the, the main actually, issue, the main stumbling block. Wow, he's just unkind. Unkind to him there. But yeah, Rob, you know, you know, <laughs> I know, we know. I know the score, man. You, you know, know the score. Soon, yeah, I got a seven year old now. Mm. So yeah, it, it, too many parties, too many people he knows, too many friends, too many this, that, and the other. So it's, and it's Jubilee weekend, man. I know, poor Jack. But Jack's got a massive turnout. In fact, wasn't it rated like the the place to be on the Queen Jubilee weekend in Bristol on that street? For Hotline, yeah. On that well, very street. Yeah. <laughs> on that street on at that, that time. They've had to cancel that street party. In that building. Yeah. Purely because uh, Jack's threatened to shoot everybody. So, yeah, no, that'd be great. I'm, I'm afraid to miss it. But, yeah, I know. I know that feeling, those fights. And in the end, you just give up the fight. Yeah. You don't party for your right to fight anymore. You buy your rights to go to bed at 9 p.m. You're making this sad again. You're making this sad again. I was just kind of feeling about how wonderful it was that we'd had Joel get in. You know, like I can't wait to hear the interview, man. I'm 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 looking forward to it. I haven't heard it yet. Yeah, and 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 Welcome Home, as I said before, it came out I think in 2014. I keep doing this and I keep forgetting. I should know. Can someone frantically Google for me? No, um, I think you're right. Yeah, I think so. Um, but it's an absolute classic album. The aesthetic is on point. Like, I, I can remember growing up kind of in that era. Not so much in, if you look at the front cover, it's got this kind of late 70s. It looks like it would have been fresh and new in the late 70s or mid 70s. It's got like oh, nice browns, oranges, that kind of very retro aesthetic. But yet, I can imagine it <coughs> still having up. the plastic sheeting on in some people's main living room, the special <laughs> living room that only gets opened out for, for like tea when the vicar comes around on that's, a Sunday. That's an aesthetic that extended into the 80s and maybe even the 90s. I think that's what people that's forget, isn't people it? people still own stuff and you don't change yeah. your sofa every yeah. 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 fashion. Yeah, but so people, that's, people yeah, think the 80s were all neon and stuff. I think Synthwave, no you know, kind of exaggerates that. But yeah, the, the, the brown 80s were a real thing as well. So. The... 
cork board on the wall. I had a cork board. Brown, we had a whole was, wall that was cork. Yeah. My mum used to put my Same. pictures up. Yeah, yeah, when, me they, too. when I did a nap better one, <laughs> yeah. she'd rip the shit one down and put another <laughs> one up. My cats, like uh, May Fakeman knows about cats. Our cats would just tear the shit out of my cork wall. Exactly. No, the, the, the 80s were not neon. They weren't sunsets and stuff. They were they were capitalism and brown. That's yeah. That's Minor strikes and all, all that, that stuff. Business. Exactly. Thatcherism. And you know what? We kind of touch on this. I think that um, that's one of the things. I won't give anything away from the interview, and we'll 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 segue nicely into it in a moment. But we did talk about this, um, the fact that not all retro um, looking back needs to be through tinted glasses. You can also look at things as real, and the kind of fear and the unease that might come with some of those things as well because in many ways we've progressed since then and hopefully we're all in a slightly different place even if we might like some of the music a bit better and we might like some of the clothes perhaps not the 80s clothes too much but you know (laughs) you can't look everything through everything through um rose tinted glasses but you cannot and that's the perfect album for it So we're joined by Joel, a.k.a. Golden Living Room. Um, It's great to have you here and have a chance to talk to you. Obviously, we've got a vinyl reissue of your classic seminal album, uh, which was originally released, I want to say, on Dream Catalog. Um, Was it self-released before then? I'm not sure. But Welcome Home is coming out in a couple of weeks' time on vinyl. It's going to be absolutely amazing. And we just wanted to take that opportunity to, um, to catch up with you and to talk to you a bit about that and about your history in the vaporwave scene and how how you see things. Yeah, uh, for sure. Thanks for coming along, Joel. And I'm also yeah, joined by Tom. Me. Why don't we kick off with? Um, yeah, tell us a little bit about Welcome Home. So the so the artwork is immediately grabbing. It's one of the most iconic pieces of visual art from the scene. Um, like, what's the inspiration for it? Um, well. I already knew that I wanted to work with um, John Moriarty from John Mill Productions. I had been working with him uh, with Midwest Collective. We were just kind of like a Facebook group um, before we were anything. And he was sort of like the artist friend. And he was already just doing all these really great collages. So I knew that I was going to want to do something with him. And he was already kind of a fan of my music and was, you know, listening to my music and making some pieces based off of it so um he had already designed a couple of different golden living rooms like just in in collage he would like you know cut out he does like the paper and and scissors kind and uh he'd done a couple of them and then i just would always like stroll like look through his work and i found one that was like exactly um what the album was gonna be and it kind of like was a quintessential golden living room because um, like growing up, it was inspired by my parents' living room, which is like a safe, you know, like a safe place, uh, and like a comfort, a comforting feeling that you can always go back to when you're in uh, moments of stress. And then it was like in the east, and so it would, um, like, the windows were facing the east. So whenever the sun would rise, it would illuminate the living room, and I'd be in there playing, like some kind of video game usually, you know, probably something that had a memorable soundtrack that was played over and over and over and over some uh rpg or something like that and so that that feeling and the golden living room was kind of a way of like recapturing that feeling of um like being like i I don't know some people call it like world building you know what i mean yeah so 
that's kind of like capturing the feeling. And then Welcome Home itself, um, I didn't, I didn't have a concept before, but I knew I wanted to use the term Welcome Home. I actually, I actually dropped a hint to it before I even knew what I was doing. Um, I had released uh, New Nostalgia on Fortune 500, like one of their, I think one of the last three albums that was released on there before they closed up, and I put some kind of like message at the end and it might even still be on the Bandcamp page it says something and the last word is welcome home um and because that's kind of a phrase that's always kind of stuck with me same with uh this is where i am right now that's actually the name of one of my albums that i put out in 2018 so i have these little like phrases that i say to myself or like that i think to myself um to kind of help me uh stay balanced i guess and and at that time the 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 album coming out in 2014 on, on Dream Catalog, that was a label that were very much starting to like instead a new vanguard in the scene. They were they were giving it a, a new breath of life. I think there was that, um, correct me if I'm wrong, that was about the time that people were memeing this idea of Vaporwave being dead and Dream Catalog come along and for, for a time they were by far the most uh, influential label. Yeah, they, they were, they like... At, I don't know what it was. Maybe it's just they were so prolific compared to so many other artists. And I mean, there were some labels that were happening, but they weren't. It wasn't like a consistently prolific. I mean, there was a lot of little sub labels and some that were prolific. But, you know, we had like several artists, including Telepath and HKE and some of the early ones that were just album chugging out album after album. And if you're anywhere like anywhere associated with Vaporwave and following people, you just you couldn't help but just see like there's a lot going on here all like the people are paying attention there's a lot going on like this is this should be noted do you feel like that was um a high point a high watermark for the scene or because uh, you're still around now and i and i that I, I know i said this at the start it's kind of intriguing to talk to someone who's been around for as long as you have and experienced all of the changes there's a hundred subgenres and more of different styles of vaporwave so you've seen a lot of these changes do you feel like that was a high watermark or do you feel like we're still kind of um we're still constantly reinventing and and still in a, a state of interesting uh, experimentation with the scene that was a high watermark for the continuity and the togetherness of everybody um everyone was sort of together um and there weren't these different camps and groups of people who didn't like each other and stuff um it was it was more of a community and it was um happening like a worldwide community which was really great um i don't think that the music stagnated necessarily i mean there's always going to be those that you know just like a certain style and want to make a certain style and they don't really care about innovating which is fine i mean there's plenty of that going on in every other genre of music so but there's also those that are innovating as well and pushing it further and further um and we used to be so concerned with like the the label of vaporwave just like is this vaporwave or what you know so i went through a phase where i was like god i hate i hate the term vaporwave like i don't like everybody wants to be vaporwave and i'm like i'm not even what is vaporwave like i don't i'm not even that um so i struggled with it for a while but um I still feel like it's evolving. It's uh, not evolving as as fast as it did, but I mean, it is still evolving. There's still artists out there that are pushing the boundaries and and things. Yeah, for sure. 
but you, I think I've read that you described yourself as kind of a net artist, perhaps, or an, is that a, is that a fair description? I mean, obviously, the tag is an is a useful it's useful using genre tags because it enables you to connect directly to an audience. But yeah, there's perhaps before this term vaporwave was even coined, you know, right. kind of a collective of net uh, artists. Am I using exactly. the right exactly? Yeah. Yeah, I was like, there was those that were on Tumblr and some that were on SoundCloud and the Tumblr led to SoundCloud and, you know, there were these like aesthetic channels on on Tumblr. And um, I mean, I've always considered myself more of an artist than I am a musician, but I'm, I mean, I, I make art, but I don't really like release art and I actually don't have the the, the skills to make exactly what I want. So I kind of like save images from around and get ideas and then like so when i when i work with an artist i it's like i'm just sending them like hundreds of images and like moods and feelings and stuff and sometimes i'll be able to capture it with my own stuff but yeah net art for sure um i always called it like like post internet is kind of another thing that i kind of called it it's like the post internet art time and like people focusing on um, the taking for granted aspects of life that um, we don't really pay attention to. And then all of a sudden putting a hype amount of attention on them and like seeing them in different perspectives. That was another thing that like, Vaporwave was kind of about, I mean, in an artistic sense, you're like who the fuck listens to elevator music? Like who actually, back then, who would actually listen to it? You know, like for real, it was just like, on hold you know you're on hold or it was playing in the background but you weren't listening so then to take the things that you take for granted and and to like take them and and change them and morph them into something was something that we were doing um it's kind of interesting when you see artists like limo who um are deliberately trying to and he's not the only one but they're trying to recreate that sound that you get from the kind of passive advertising music that's played in malls like, I don't know how many people were aware that, you know, smells are being piped into bakeries and bookshops even to create um, a feeling that you have that makes you more inclined to spend and, and, and consume. And then there's these whole kind of liminal spaces. Like, Tom, you've done a lot of, you've done albums around this, haven't you? You know, like the the, um, the first album you did as Donor Lens, like this, these spaces that are not really here or there. You've, you've had a generation of people who probably weren't even aware that they were being sold things and they were being uh -huh. played this music to make them calm and passive and consumers. And now we're so hyper aware of this like fraud almost that we're recreating and replicating it ourselves. I think it's, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of interesting to see. Maybe that's very posted. Yeah. I saw um, there was a debate on YouTube. Um, it was actually Angel Firetools was commenting underneath um, some of the original Weather Channel music that Infinity Frequencies had sampled. And the, the composer of the original music was like, who's this Infinity Frequencies person who's, who's getting tagged in the music? And there was like this big debate, like this guy is like an he's like an older composer who's written this music for the Weather Channel, like could not grasp the idea that like um, Infinity Frequencies had sort of like passively kind of recorded like VHS onto a VHS, like random Weather Channel clips and then used that as a sample without having like a direct attachment to the music. It's just like a sound that kind of wafted out of his TV set or, you know, out of their TV set towards them. And like uh, 
Angel was argue, arguing our case, the, the Vaporwave case, and this this kind of more old school composer was was horrified. <laughs> <laughs> Where's my credit? Basically, yeah. that I think the guy <laughs> said that he'd spent like years playing on cruise ships to fund this this record, and uh, <laughs> he's never made the money back. Oh no! I mean, that's yeah. interesting as well because we did that charity compilation on MPF um, for uh, the Thank You for Holding compilation, which was what, what's it called? Opus number yeah number one the, the cisco yeah, hold music the cisco yeah. hold music basically and the guy who composed that piece of music actually got in touch he was really kind um he, he obviously wasn't very aware of the concept of vaporwave and the principle behind what we were doing but he was really understanding given that we were doing it for charity but he did kind of gently ask us to stop making it available for sale even if the money was going to charity because it's a piece of music that he'd composed and we'd essentially released an album of 25 to 30 covers, the extended version. And that will be quite strange for people who don't, you know, some, it's not, something's not a new thing, but, you know, we, we are in a kind of Wild West scene in some respects. Mm -hmm. For Yeah. I mean, what's your relationship with sampling? Because you're a musician, you know, you're multi-instrumentalist, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, it was it was hard for me at first um, because I came from this like snooty jazz background um, and not just not just jazz, but classical, like, you know, school of music, people studying professional music, whatever, you know, um, and I was kind of like brainwashed by that. So when I, I came into the scene and found out like that people were sampling I, I was so out of it though like i didn't have any background in electronic music i didn't know that sampling was a thing i didn't even realize that all of these songs that i liked that had these particular parts i had no idea that they were samples i thought macintosh plus was a group of people in their basement in their 40s like making like jams like current current day like i really did like i was very naive um yeah so it was interesting with your your background as a as a jazz and classical musician, like uh, having trouble kind of squaring this idea of sampling being so prevalent in electronic music, but like, jazz, you know, jazz is kind of uh, the whole language is kind of built off quotation and interpolation, and you know, Absolutely. like Mozart would just sort of lift lift whole themes from other people and just kind of you know whack it into a symphony. So I think like this idea of art having to be wholly like wholly and totally original is like an idea that took root in the nineteenth century and persists. But yeah. it's like quite a recent thing, isn't it? And it's not like universal amongst all cultures, right? It's like quite a European, right. a Eurocentric idea. My my guitar teacher used to say like that I should memorize whole entire Charlie Parker solos mm -hmm. uh, if I wanted to be able to improvise over a song that had really fast changes. Like I'm like, oh, I'm having a hard time coming up with good ideas. He's like, just memorize Charlie Parker. He's steal Charlie Parker licks. Yeah. And so, like, I memorized a whole entire Charlie Parker solo, and I went to a gig that didn't have any of the people that I that were around me, and I wasn't even that good. But I went to a gig, and I just completely ripped off a Charlie Parker solo, and I just got and people like thought I was the best, and I'm just like, okay. So <laughs> those um good good ideas are timeless. You know, right. Charlie Parker's ideas aren't like corny and dated, like. Charlie Parker, you you put Charlie Parker in a jazz club now, it's still going to sound hip. Yeah, 
Yeah, so I mean, for sure, and I mean, and then what? We have like rhythm changes and blues and these other forms that are just the same chord progression. Um, yeah, and with different heads written or different melodies written over the top, and you know, people taking tunes like um, there's a on the Sims, the Sims one. There's a song, one of the songs that plays when you're building, and I was listening to it. and I'm like, wait a minute, this is just the the jazz standard, how high the moon, with a different melody. Um, so if you go and listen, you can tell. And I went, I even got out my lead sheet of how high the moon was playing the chords. I'm like, yep, it's the exact same thing, just different melody. So um, that was one thing that I was okay with sampling. The thing that I that I wasn't okay with, uh, since I'm primarily a performance person, because my um, my master's degree is in performance. So it was like going up in front of people and not performing like in a physical way you know what i mean i mean you are but you aren't and i and and honestly when i sample i don't i don't really sample like really press buttons and 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 dj or anything like that like i record long form samples on sometimes just one if i need like a backing track um other times i'll have like you know eight or so different ones that i can time and loop as well but that was really hard for me, and it's still even hard for me to this day, like, for me to show up at a gig with my sampler and just, like, my keyboard only. Like, I'm just like, oh, I need to, like, look busy. This is making... Because it, you would go in these performances and you would always be... As a guitar player, you're always doing something. You, you have jobs, you know, you're accompanying or you're, you're playing the melody or you're playing a solo, and there's never a time when you're just, like, sitting there and you're able to like, you know? So um, at Electronicon, I, I played with my electric guitar and my um, my guitar synthesizer. And normally I would have, you know, a regular keyboard, like a DX7, and then another little toy keyboard, and then my guitar, and then a, a bunch of different pedals. And so I would have something to be doing up there as the sample is playing in the background and able to add layers. But at Electronicon, it was like, nope, we're right here. Like you got to fill that space, and it was like even though I know people would stand up there and just jam sometimes, which is cool, it's fine. I just I have a hard time with that. It's hard for me because of my the the amount of pressure that's put on you as a performer, and I just feel like I have to be busy or something. Did you write this music to be performed? The uh, welcome music. Mm -mm. Okay, so. When I first started making music as Golden Living Room, I was, it was always it, to play live. It was always to play live. Um, and, but I didn't have a way of doing it. And so my friend had a sampler and he told me, you know, check out this sampler. And then I just like, I'd recently discovered YYU, who was on Beer on the Rug, one of the early releases on Beer on the Rug. And YYU's music used a 404 sampler. And I also was aware that, you know, um, members from Animal Collective use some of those, you know, 202 samplers and other things. So yeah, once I discovered that, then I was like, okay, well, I can put these things that I'm writing on my computer, which is a completely different process. You know, I'm sampling, I'm producing, producing, not really producing. I'm, I'm doing whatever weird way that I did it back then and putting it all together. So um, it's definitely like different worlds. And then I would have to almost like, take it from the computer and then like learn how to perform it 
uh, as well. I mean, so like I was intended to perform it, but it's never been like a streamlined. You do it like this, and then you perform it. It's never been like that. <laughs> I saw um, Daniel Opperton was talking about how he performs live as one of Tricks Point Never, and he says that like because obviously I think his music's not a million miles off yours, and then it like it's got this kind of improvisatory kind of thing, and like you know you can have a core idea and it can sort of develop in sort of quite spontaneous and sort of malleable kind of plastic ways he says that when he plays live he makes like idiot versions of his tracks where you like identify the core idea and then you can use you know whatever you're using to play live you, you mess with that core idea you you reduce your track to a whatever a 16 bar loop or something and then you can take it in a new direction live like there's no point trying to recreate all the kind of intricacies of the studio production live because then that's that's like a weird exercise that's not spontaneous right. that's not you're not reacting to the crowd you're you're trying to recreate a studio I mean, environment on stage and that's that that's be, artificial. That would be kind of like the Beatles trying to recreate Tomorrow Never Knows where they're holding these tape loops. <laughs> right. and, hmm. you know, and and that is one of the reasons why they found it so hard, apart from the other reason being the, the screaming girls in the front and they couldn't mm -hmm. hear themselves. But I mean, the, compli the complex nature of their um, productions. And you're right, you have to strip it back to a core idea, don't you? Otherwise... Yeah. You know, it's a very different process. Um, That's exactly what I what I have to do. Um, sometimes it's like so bare that it's that it's not it's almost unrecognizable. And then you take it and then you perform it live, and it's like a different song. Um, yeah, a lot of the times. Can I ask you? I want to take you back to something you said. So, so the the cover art for Welcome Home, um, and I I totally because I because it to be honest with you, it reminds me of my grandparents' living room as well. The kind of beige colors um that it, it strikes a late 70s early 80s feeling for me and probably into the the 80s further because people don't change their sofas that often and the, that right. the stuff that hangs around for a while but that 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 homely idea yes I, I i feel that in the imagery from it but when i listen to that album i find it quite unsettling and in some respects frightening tom and i were talking about this there's kind of an unnerving vibe to it um do you, do you do you are you aware of that? I mean, what do you feel about the the music side of things? So you've created this visual that's very warm reminder of home, and yet the audio is quite challenging. Yeah, yeah, it's like um, the complications of of I don't know the heaviness of 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 I don't know of life. Think of it like. Um, you're trying to create a realistic, you know, a realistic representation of what life is like, like a slice of life. So, you know, there is an idealized image of, of what home is. Um, and home is, the cover is home and home is like where it's safe, but like outside is not safe. So, uh, and that's kind of, I had that unsafe feeling never at home. I was safe at home with my family, but outside of, home was not safe just in terms of how i interpreted the world when i was younger yeah. not to say i was you know not to say that i was physically unsafe or anything but there were just there were some things that i just didn't feel right so it was like a an anxiety i had lots i have lots of anxiety but um back then i had you know i didn't know what it was i didn't know what i was experiencing um when i was a kid so it was like the music was a way of me like like show like creating the anxiety or like making it like yeah. the feeling or the mood of the anxiety you know what i mean and sometimes it's 
like anxious and then it's happy and it's beautiful. So it's kind of like a fluctuation of, of emotions throughout the day. And, um, there's always that sort of, um, thinking of the word that the core of it that just strikes you over and over and over. That's just so beautiful. Um, and, and it loops on you over and over. It's almost like escape, like, okay, let me just have that sound to wash me right now because everything else around me is, is really tough. So, um, I, I'm, I'm totally aware that there's a, like, um, and, and also that time of my life was, was pretty dark. Like some of the more depressed times of my life. Um, I had major transitions that had went on in my life. Um, I had just had a, a kid, my first son. Um, I was like across, you know, I, I moved to China and the job didn't work out. My best friend had died. Like all these things had happened. I got mugged. Like, so I had gone from this, this life, like this steady life. And then like all of a sudden it just like, jumbled everything up. And then I was able to use the music to process a lot of what was going on. Wow. That's, a, that's amazing to hear you contextualize that. Cause like, I, I, I don't know very much about your biography, but I was, you know, I was revisiting the record today and I was just like, it took me to so many different places and so many different moods. And even like looking at the, the artwork, it's like, it's not just like simple nostalgia. It's not like it wasn't the past great. Like, I think it sort of problem problematizes nostalgia and it's, it's, it, it shows the past in all its kind of complexities. And like, I think it's like a more honest and more realistic kind of depiction of, what, how memory actually works. I think it's yeah. like a, a really amazing execution of that idea. And it's another way of like processing and getting over things as well. Like mm-hmm. um, the song, even though this isn't on Welcome Home, but the song um, that's it's on Virtual Fantasy 2097 is called I, I Can't See It All, It's Safe. So that was like a song that I used to process when I got mugged. <laughs> so I like like saying the words, it's safe to go outside. Cause at the time I was just like, I do not want to go outside right now. I'm very, I feel very scared. So, um, the music, um, is like comforting. It's beautiful. And it's also kind of eerie at the same time. Wow. I mean, when I was listening to it, it's, it's so interesting to hear. I mean, obviously I'm really saddened by some of the, the things that you had to go through in order to create this beautiful music. Um, it, I, it, it's really interesting that if you don't know that kind of story, you take your own, feelings from listening to it so tom just described his for me it made me think of like um going home for christmas once i'd moved out and how once you've been home for a couple of days the kind of tension comes back and a lot of people feel this the longer you spend with your family over the holidays you realize why you moved out and why you needed your space yeah Yeah. Uh you no longer want to relate with them in the same way as you did when you were younger you know um but i mean (sighs) It, it, it's fascinating. I, I feel like, you know, we're, we're looking back on this album a number of years and later and it, and it's such a special time with the scene kind of kicking back on again. It's such a wonderful time to be getting this vinyl pressing and yes. Um, sure. Yeah. I, we're just, yeah, it's wonderful to be working with you and, and to talk to you about it. We are back. Cool. It's Joel there. I'm here. There you go. Uh, we're, we're a go-go yeah Joel I wanted to ask like um, if you've got any sort of particular insights about how the the record is sequenced like how the tracks are all put together because you know we've kind of already alluded alluded to the fact that it you know it goes on somewhat of a journey I don't know if you can tell us a bit more about that 
Um, well, first of all, there is there was a some confusion, um, and no one ever noticed until um, like I had one fan that got really into my music and started to dissect everything and was like, "Hey, why is the why is the version on YouTube or the cassette rip version different from what you have on Bandcamp?" And he's like, I, "If I'm gonna download it on Bandcamp, I want to have the full experience, you know, like." I was like, it makes a lot of sense. <laughs> but I think what I did is I, um, I I left one of the songs as like cassette exclusive, but I didn't do it like on purpose. It was just sort of like I must have thrown in something. I, I, I can be very spontaneous sometimes where I won't even plan something at all. And then I'll have it and I'll be like, oh, this sounds cool. Let me just put it in there um, because it like fits so perfectly. Um, and that that's actually artistic amnesia which is on there on, on um, the name of one of the tracks on there because I, I wrote it and I don't know how I wrote it. I, I don't have any recollection recollection of writing it at all, but I know I wrote it. I even recorded a video of myself playing fantasy star online and like that in the background. And um, I like, it was, it's really strange. Like I said, those times were, were like kind of tough, but like sometimes I'd have like lapses of memory and like, I didn't remember doing that. So, um, but yeah, like the sequence itself um, doesn't really, it, it wasn't really intentional. To, if I'm going to be completely honest, it wasn't intentional um, except for the, the fusing of, of, of sounds in between, like the, the binaural beats sometimes or, or the, the theme of um, that, that voice from um, Lon Lon's Ranch and uh, Lon Lon Ranch in um, Zelda Ocarina of Time. So the character Malin is played by this, this like cheesy sound font from like a SC88, like a female voice, like sound. And so I would use that sound to kind of like, I, you know, I, I use it on a synth and started to like write things and I would do like Zelda's lullaby, but using Malin's voice. And so I have these like little hints towards themes that I created, like losing it for the princess or for the princess is, is one of the, the themes that kind of came along and I've used that throughout. And, and then there's other dream, like other ones, like themes of like certain crystals and things just, but there was never like a, a reason for why I sequenced them that way. It was just kind of what was making me feel the most when I was doing it. It's like, Oh, the princess is like a video game thing like a, it's a it's a zelda thing mario thing or yeah zelda for sure it's it's um referencing zelda mm -hmm. i really like the yeah because i mean I, I sort of half suspect that might be the case but it's also you know just kind of left sort of quite beautifully generic mm -hmm. I, I like that it's just you know it's sort of either it's literally like a reference to zelda or it's something like really sort of devotional right and kind of romantic i like it yeah, I'm gonna open it up here so I can just reference back and forth. And well, uh, I'd say with um, like uh, the kind of most direct moment is probably oh yeah, yeah. Is that fair to say? Like, so what did you want to kind of break break the flow with something that was kind of more more rhythmic and more direct, sort of around that point of the, the album sequence? Yeah. Well, um, oh yeah, oh yeah. Sorry. Oh yeah, is 
a song that I worked on, I put the most time into producing and recording than I have like many songs. I probably, I don't know if I've ever put that many hours into a, a song before, except for like some compositions that I wrote using like notation software. But like in terms of like having it in my sequencer and recording different parts and re-recording guitar parts and loops and sp splicing things together. Yeah, oh yeah, um, was not purposefully uh, put to to change things. I've been told that it's it's the one that sort of like sticks out and it's not mm -hmm. exactly fit with everything else. Um, but I've also been told by a lot of people that it's their favorite because um, it has that that beautiful R. Kelly. <laughs> yeah, and it's just that's the epitome of an echo jam. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I really took that turn like yeah i like you know i know what, it, what you mean by an echo jam you take the best part and you just do it over and over and over and then you change the layers around it and add more add dynamics if you can so yeah that's kind of uh i don't know i was just it was one of those it was just like it would wash over me and i was just like man this is so good that there's no way that this can get like not be on the album it has to be on the album yeah it's like I know it, it is washy, but it's like it it feels like the most in focus moment as well because the stuff around it is even washier. It's it's like you're sort of scrambling through TV channels or something. You're not getting proper signal, not getting proper signal. Something comes into focus, and then you know it's 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 ephemeral. You lose it. Yeah, like a moment of lucidity or something, or a moment of of uh, being able to pay attention for once. What would you say to someone who was about to experience it for the first time? Because I suspect all these years later now, when we put it out in a couple of weeks' time, there's going to be a, ha there's going to be a, a significant proportion of our followers who will be picking this up for the first time. They may have only discovered Vaporwave in the last couple of years and they may not have got around to this album. Like, how would you... What would be the ideal listening environment? Or is that... Do you feel like that's something that's completely down to the individual? I mean, more or less, I, I would say in your most comfortable, present place, you know, wherever you can be present. So, um, I mean, it's, if you really want to experience it, you should pay attention while you listen. I know there's a lot of people that don't actually pay attention when they're listening and they, they like music as background, which I use it for both. But... Um, a really good if you want to really get the true feeling you would wake up right when the sun rises and have a cup of coffee or whatever your morning drink is and and sit there and listen to it as the rays of sun are like striking you um that's it's it's definitely got a warmth to it um and a and a haziness um yeah sort of like that or i mean another good thing is in complete darkness with your eyes open with headphones wow but it, it's it's a meditation. It's a meditation. Yeah, it can be. Yeah, for sure. It, it can be. Or I mean, yeah. It just it just depends because it, it means different things. Like like you were saying, it means different things to different people. And like however you digest music, the most comfortable place for it. You just yeah, because there's a lot that happens that and like little things that if like I wasn't even aware that I was making sometimes, and I went back and listened. Like whoa, wow, why did I do that? <laughs> What is this even like? I'm I'm kind of a contradiction sometimes. Like I I'll do things and I don't even know why I'm doing them or I don't remember doing them. 
um, and then they make back then especially and then they make it their way into the music and they're like whoa that was a good idea like who told you to do that <laughs> I don't know how you sort of alluded to the idea that you kind of self-identify as like maybe as like a fine artist more more than than a musician like maybe with this project has has this work or ever been sort of performed or exhibited in a in a gallery space or like a sort of art gallery environment my music has for sure yeah. um welcome home itself like in in whole has not but I have played, actually one of my most recent gigs was at a, a gallery in my hometown, not hometown, in my the town that I'm living in. And um, that's one of the, the ideal places to play is at an art gallery because yeah. you're more likely to get people who will pay attention to the you know artistic quality of it. Yeah. You know what you were saying about um, coming from like a jazz background and you know you're having to be like quite visual you know like really look you know every note has to correspond to a gesture that you're doing i feel like this kind of music really suits uh gallery performance because you know your the audience comes knowing that they're going to have to use their imagination and you know um yeah like, like do a little bit of work to kind of um cooperate with with what you're giving them it's not like a kind of whiz bang sort of display of virtuosity or whatever it's something more right. kind of cerebral than that and i've played many many places where people were used to have being performed at hmm. performed for and then i come up there and they're like the fuck am i even watching right now like what oh. is this um and like the joke in america a lot of times you guys may be aware of the joke where someone yells like Freebird, when some when you're playing guitar like that, like literally people do that in my town, like to be funny and like to also just be not nice. And I've had that happen to me before. Um, but I, then I learned like, yeah, I don't even know why I decided to play at that place. Like it wasn't like it was pain anyway. Like I used to just gig as much as I could. Like I didn't care about about getting paid for the Golden Living Room gigs. Um, nowadays, I nowadays I mean I like I do, but back back when I was doing that and trying to get out there, I was just playing where whoever would have me. And I learned some important lessons about like, um, playing to the wrong audience. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was what was interesting about being at Brooklyn for the first Electronicon was this kind of eclectic and diverse range of people performing. Some are very much could be experienced passively. Others, you had to actively listen in order to appreciate and enjoy, but there was that range and that difference and the audience kind of lapped up everything. I can imagine if you were playing Welcome Home in a rowdy bar full of people who've had a few beers, I'm not sure how well it would necessarily go yeah. down for the wider crowd. Right, yeah, no way. It also kind of forces introspection and people who are at a bar are like trying to not think about something, you know what I mean? Maybe escaping the reality that you're then trying to confront them with. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. interesting. Okay, that's quite jarring. I can imagine that being quite jarring in the wrong in the wrong circumstance for sure, for sure. Um, I read I was doing a bit of um sort of swatting up before chatting to you this evening, and I had a read of a couple of interviews, and I was struck by something you said about um. You talked about your your upbringing and your background and perhaps how you might have had to 
hide some of your musical taste choices from your family because you grew up yeah. in a kind of small C conservative background. Yes. Tell us a bit more about that. And we, we did you end up rebelling because of this or? Well, um, okay. So yeah, I grew up um, like I had a, a few, you know, from ages like zero to five. I, my, my parents weren't religious. So, um, but then like when I was like five or six years old, they became very religious and we started going to church and, um, my mom drastically changed how we did things at home. Like, you know, we, I was raised seventh day Adventist. So, um, I was like, well, you don't do that on Sabbath, which is the Saturday. So we don't, you know, we don't do what we normally do on Saturday. We, you know, we worship or, you know, whatever. And we spend time with family and and so I was like, wait, so I can't I can't play Sega Genesis on Saturdays anymore. <laughs> I can't have like pork anymore and um, and yeah, and then also like my my mom my parents were very my mom especially was very um, protective, overprotective, and she wanted to shield me from outside influences of things and. And so, yeah, I wasn't allowed to listen to certain types of music. And if I did, I would get in trouble and I would get, you know, my precious skateboard taken from me or my video games taken away or something. So my sister used to, um, like her and I were five years apart. And so she had more access to, to resources than I did. And so we started, she started driving me to school because we went, we went to a, a small like K through 12 or kindergarten through 12th grade school. Um, all in one building with a couple hundred kids, and so she she would listen to like Bone Thugs and Harmony and Snoop Dogg and Dr. Dre, Chronic 2001, and a bunch of other stuff. And I mean, I just loved that music so much. It just was ah, oh, just like struck me. I loved it, and I we I could never listen to it. So I had to like trade her my Beanie Babies in order for her to like give me dubbed versions of Bone Thugs and Harmony, and then I would have to like label it as like something like that's creed a, or something yeah. <laughs> creed jesus songs and then it would really be bone thugs and harmony and then i would like only be able to listen to it on the bus because if my mom would see me listening to music she would just casually be like oh hey what are you listening to and then i and i can't i can't just not a good liar so i'd always just be like uh i broke the rules mom so yeah i used to kind of have to sneak around and uh and yeah, I remember one time I was actually listening to Creed. This is when they first came out, and like the really loud, heavy rock music. My parents had specifically said, "We don't want you to play guitar, because we don't want you to get into rock music." So wow. my dad bought me a guitar, even though like months after he told me no. And the first thing I did was get into rock music. So, uh, and I wasn't kind of right. I wasn't trying to be rebellious though. Like it was just like it hit me. I was just like, oh, this forbidden fruit. And anyway, I was listening to Creed, and my mom busted in and said, "What are you listening to?" I'm like, "Mom, they're good lyrics. I swear." I'm like, "It's about, it's about God and stuff." And so I like would fight and have to tell her and like tell and explain it. And then she'd be like, "Oh, okay." And <laughs> it wasn't until like, and then once I got a little bit older, she kind of like came to her senses on on how uh, strict she was. And came to her senses on how um, fanatical she had been with with the religion for a while, and um, and now then I came to find like my parents listened to all kinds of really cool music, 
in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, like really great music. And then my mom just like stopped listening to all of it, dropped all of it for this religion. And so um, we kind of just look back on it and laugh. But it, I mean, it, it was formative for me for sure because I would go, I would like risk getting into trouble in order to listen to the music that I wanted to listen to. So do you now have a different relationship with music with her? Like, do you, um, what does she make of, of the stuff that you do? Oh, she's absolutely supportive. My parents are 100% supportive. And um, they come to any live stream show that they can get to. Wonderful. Um, whenever I send it to them and they'll watch and listen. And my mom has discovered some other artists, other vaporwave artists. She shared one with me. I can't remember who it, who it is, but it's someone adjacent in the scene. She's like, hey, I've discovered this album. It's from this channel called Vapor Memory. And I'm like... Uh -huh. <laughs> hey yeah mom I'm like yeah vapor memory is really great i was like there's a bunch of my albums on there too and and she shared the album with me and it was really good and it's just it's really interesting so we just she shares music with me um and i share music with her and we both have a like a love for ambient music i think that's kind of how i got my parents you know grew up listening to that weather channel music but they would listen to that smooth jazz new age stuff and um they and they enjoyed listening to that kind of stuff and just kind of like chill in the background. Um, so yeah, <laughs> my mum's on Vapor Memory as well, and so as part of the Donor Lens live show, she's playing violin on on that's right. on uh, our tunes. She's, oh, she's very, very proud of that. So she yeah, there's, there's there's more than one Vapor mum out there sharing Vapor she, Memory links to their friends. You know, that's came, great. She came to our gig as well. That's mm -hmm. awesome. Yeah. We did a show recently, Joel, in London, Future Sounds, and um, yeah, Tom, Tom and my brother played together as Donor Lens, and um, yeah, you had family there on the day, didn't you? Mm -hmm. Which was cool. So yeah, you're you're quite right. It's a family affair in some respects. But. Yeah, that's that's really cool uh, to have that kind of support. Future Sounds. Um, okay, well. Why don't you tell? I mean, I know we. I, I could talk to you all night about Welcome Home, and uh, I, I'm looking forward to releasing it. And people who haven't heard it before getting a chance to listen to it. I did have to quickly check through the, um, the labels for the vinyl uh, to make sure. And we have got the the cassette exclusive track is no longer restricted only to that cassette. It's on the vinyl as well. So um, anyone, yes, anyone who was concerned that they wouldn't be getting the full experience, they will be, which is which is delightful. But why don't you tell Where does that track happen? It does it happen after Two Free Monlooker? It's on site. It's on side A. It's just before ah. Sleeping in the Night. Okay. It's just after Oh Yeah, which we were talking about a second ago. Yeah, it's right after that. Slots in there quite nicely. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you're up to now? Are, are you playing by any chance at the next Electronicon? Because he hasn't announced all the artists yet. Well, uh, no, I have not been invited yet. I, I have a feeling that I might maybe get invited, but um, because there's just some, some reasons that make me think that I'm, and it's possible that I would get invited, but um, I'm also fine with not being invited because uh, my, my fourth son is going to be coming on August 9th. Oh, wow. And, uh, really excited about that, and my wife is going to be having a you know, we could plan the day because she has to have a, a planned cesarean. Okay. Um, but that also means that she's going to need extra help. And so me going, flying to New York on August 20th 
She just, uh, when I mentioned even the idea of it, she was just like, I know you're kidding. I know you're not being serious right now. And I was like, oh, yeah. Just yeah, this sounds, this sounds like conversations I have with my um, with my partner all the time because we've got a baby who's ten months old today, and um, Tom, you've got a bit. What what date is your baby due? Must yeah, be. my 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 first son is is being born on in late July. Oh, so congratulations! That, yeah, I, 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 thank you. So same discussions being had around sort of gig schedules. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. don't even think about it. <laughs> yeah, take yeah. the summer off, Tom. <laughs> it's one of them. Yeah, we're going to fly remember. over for the new Electronicon. Oh, uh, great. Yeah, we're going to try and film at it for the Nobody Here project and catch up with a few people like Whitewoods and St. Pepsi while we're in Brooklyn, people who are, who are going to be over there for that show. It, it should be pretty cool. Yeah, I, I really hope... I mean, I, I don't think I can make it work, but if I'm able to... It, it just depends. Like, yeah. if I can convince her and I can also, like come up with a reasonable like replacement for me like we've got tons of family around that can yeah. that could step in and help if it's more of getting her to agree to to letting me off the the hook for a, a weekend i kind of feel like you're making an appeal now and that you're thinking that later on you can stick this podcast episode in the, on in the car and she'll just hear this and be like yeah oh joel yeah okay i can see what it means means to you now because there's billions of people listening to this podcast and they all yeah. know that I want to go yeah. to Electronicon. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. What, what, what else have you been working on? What else have you, what, what else do you want to talk? Let's, let's treat this like those talk show programs where the guest's coming on because he wants to sell something. What are you selling, Joel? What well, are you selling your records, Enzo? Apart from this record, yeah, we've already pushed this one. I don't want to make this too, yeah, you know. I'm going to sell a legend or a myth, okay? Yeah. There's a myth out there that that I created an album with James Webster uh, from Death Dynamic Shroud, and um, it's called Miyoto Miyoto Iwa, and it was made in like 2018. And I've been promoting and talking about this album for like the last four years, and it's like vaporware. You know, it's like no. make a big huge thing out of it, and then you then it like never happens. So. Um, it's gonna happen. Like, no, I'm actually gonna make it. Well, it's already done. That's the thing, <laughs> is it's done. It's It's been done since 2018. But it's just and, yeah. And James even remastered it um, in November. But, you know, he's gone through a lot of um, a lot of changes with the success of Death Dynamic Shroud, and now he's just been married and moved. Yeah. So I've tried to be really uh, patient because the album is really good and we both agree that it's a really great album and that it needs to come out like with the right circumstances and not to push it so um i will promote that it's going to be most likely on midwest collective on vinyl and i really hope that it happens soon um also there is talk about putting my latest album nine reflections with um with bathroom plans vinyl uh, having a, a vinyl release of that on midwest collective and then um, I think there's a vinyl release of Post Internet that's supposed to come out. Uh, I think with I think it's Utopia District that we're, we're doing that. I don't know exactly the schedule and the details for that yet, but I I know that it's um, it's like done and it's ready to go. It's just I think we're waiting on um, you know backlog stuff. 
Yeah. And then as for new music, there's a ton of new music. Um, and there's not a concrete plan for how or where I'm going to release it yet because I'm debating what me- what medium I want to use um, to release it. Because the last album, you know, we did on that Obsidian Dream Crystal, I don't know if you knew that, like when I was releasing with Virtual Dream Plaza, we put it on those USB uh, crystals. And that was really cool, but it, you know, was just very involved to do that. Actually, John Mo Productions, who did the album cover for Welcome Home, he did those. He's also a jeweler, and yeah. so he did those. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, so I'm thinking about maybe going to uh, to do a CD release next, but I haven't quite decided yet. Um, but I've never had anything pressed on, on vinyl before, so literally when I got that Welcome Home test pressing, this is like, it, it's been one of my goals for my whole career, um, to have something on vinyl like Sounds i have this like, small list of things <laughs> and it's like to have one of those checked off is like ah okay yeah medical <laughs> and of course you've sent us the track for flamingo funk volume three as well which um yes something it's been kind of delayed by covid uh and all of those factors yeah you know we we've we put this off for a while in, in much the same way as the film when you were talking about the album with james webster being vaporware it kind of made me think of the joke, the running joke that we've had amongst the people involved of making the film Nobody Here is that it was the most vaporwave thing ever to just <laughs> a series of trailers and posters, but never actually finish the thing. Um, and, and it's kind of felt like it would be impossible to finish for quite some time. But uh, I think things are opening up, Touchwood. So, um, but no, it sounds yeah, like you've got an exciting uh, number of things in the pipelines. And, uh, yeah. Future sounds. So, um, your uh, collab with the sort of skeleton lipstick side project, this uh, oh, polymath yeah. vampire stuff, that's oh, that's yeah. really beautiful. So that's a project that uh, me and Jay were involved with as well under, right. under Donor Lens moniker. But yeah, it's a really, really special, really beautiful project. Yes, that was that was a lot of fun. Um, and when he told me to just go crazy with and do whatever I wanted to on the guitar, I yeah. had a lot of fun with it. I was channeling my inner shoegaze musician with that one and yeah that's what he asked for wasn't it yeah and i um speaking of guitars the the newest thing that's going to happen with with golden living room is i got uh this microtonal guitar neck it's uh oh, no way yeah. king gizzard it up i know How many, like, is that 24 24 frets in an octave 22 22 whoa far out yeah and I've been listening to some some stuff, and I'm saving up some money to buy uh, like a Jaguar body, like a loaded Jaguar body, and like everything else. And I'm gonna start making some microtonal music soon. That's and amazing. This is great podcasting, by the way, for the benefit of people who who clearly can't see what you were holding up just then. Um, oh right. Yeah. So it's, it's a guitar neck with 22 frets and an octave. Come on, use your imagination. There yes. If go. you want to look it up, it's the 22 equal divisions of the octave, so 22 EDO guitar neck. And you can see some videos on YouTube from a guy named Brandon Burns, I think. Brandon Brandon Burns, and he's recorded some music in 22 EDO. And when I first listened to it, I'm going to be completely honest, I listened to it, I go, mm, that sounds out of tune. Like, mm-hmm. that's all, all I hear is like, ah, oh, t- tune it up a little bit. But after a while, it starts to kind of wash over you and you start to get used to it. it it definitely is an acquired taste i would say 
we'll, we'll post the link. Um, we'll Joel, you clearly have like a an interesting relationship with the guitar as an instrument, and the guitar is like definitely not an instrument that's associated with with vaporwave generally. Like, what what are your sort of guitar influences, and like what what do you try to do with the guitar? Um, well, for for sure, uh, Joao Gilberto, the Brazilian um, bossa nova guitar player, is huge yeah. influence on me. Um, uh, oh my gosh! How can I? Even... The guy he did a he did albums with um, Bill Evans and Intermodulations and um, Joe Pass. No, I'm gonna remember and I'm gonna feel stupid. But he's one of my huge influences. Um, but yeah, like some jazz guitar players. But I don't. I Jim, was it Jim Hall? Jim Hall, yeah. Jim yeah, Hall. yeah. I'm not um, a guitar player. Like I, I, I don't know. I I actually really hate guitar players not in a oh sorry i don't mean that in a i don't like guitar culture hmm. i i really don't um and i think that's maybe just because i've been around it for so long and i i like the guitar is just like what i can make what i'm the most proficient on so yeah. when it comes to like treating the guitar like an instrument using it as a guitar like a synthesizer with it is the best thing because I can make it not sound like a guitar, yet I can be really proficient with what I'm doing. Not that I don't like the sound of guitar, I really do, but it's just all the the cliches of guitar players that kind of irk me. So it makes me a, a little bit, uh, I don't know. It's quite a good um, blank canvas guitar. Like there's so many, both acoustic guitars, I think about like the free improv guys like um, Derek Bailey and people like that, who used, you know, they would take acoustic guitar, it's like, I've got so good at playing this normally. Like, I've run out of ideas. Like I'm going to start preparing it and detuning it and stuff. Like so, acoustic guitar is an okay blank canvas, but like electric guitar really is like a great blank canvas because yeah, it's not really designed to sound like anything in particular. Like the the guitar itself doesn't sound like anything until you put it into an amp. Right. So like how you color that sound is like there's no there's no set way to do it. So the, the, the possibilities are, are fairly limitless. Are you are you primarily an acoustic guitarist or an electric guitarist? Um, I would say I'm more acoustic, honestly. Um, but I have a really nice archtop jazz guitar. Um, I'm I really like my style is is jazz. Like that's what I really know how to play well. But I also enjoy finger pick like finger style and um, like classical. Um, but I started out playing like rock like in a grunge band so i've been like all over the place um i i got into blues a little bit like i like Jimi hendrix for a little while but i never really got into playing that kind of rock style i don't really know how to play rock very well but i do know how to play like some you know some cliche like licks and things but um but yeah like bossa nova i really like bossa nova a lot that's my thing <laughs> Do have anything no, to I'm, say about Bossa Nova? I, yeah, I'm sorry, I, I can't, I can't contribute anything to that specific. Uh, well, I've, I've got what, one thought on Bossa Nova stuff. I, I must confess, I haven't seen it, but I was, I, I keep getting recommended this uh, video on YouTube that's talking about how, uh, like, Bossa Nova was like really politically, um, sort of subversive and transgressive, like under the sort of uh, Brazilian military dictatorship, and they weren't allowed to be kind of provocative with lyrics so they were like provocative with how they played their instruments and the harmony they used and stuff it's like a really beautiful idea that you can like um affect change by playing 
interesting chords or like innovating on an instrument I, I, th- I think that's a really beautiful idea it's interesting too like one of my favorite um albums by joao gilberto is recorded in a, someone's house with a small audience in like 58 i think it's called nakasa de chico something it's uh it's so good and it's totally raw and totally live and everything there's no no dubbing at all it's just it's live and he's just like flawless like 50 things going on with his hand while he's singing perfectly to it and and also keeping the beat and stuff and yeah it's great and you could you could tell that it's sort of like a um it's special you know it's just hatching at that time it's really fresh that's what I've, so pe- people who don't know anything about bossa nova say like oh it's just elevator music it's boring it's it's wallpaper whatever but like when you when you get into it and you realize that it's like really beautiful and it it, it kind of portrays the whole kind of whatever like experience human experience i think the same critique is leveled at vaporwave it's like oh whatever it's just elevator music but like people who who care about it and are passionate like it 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 does some like really quite sort of um provocative and uh yeah thought-provoking things that there are weird like bossa nova vaporwave parallels the more i think about it yeah it's more like that 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 theme of like uh, the liminal you know if it's not meant to be not meant to be paid attention to but mm. now but now you do pay attention to it and you find worlds within within those back rooms so if we were I, I i'm conscious that we've all well tom less so you haven't got children to to run back to but um joel you and 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 i do have to probably turn back to to family duties af- after this I, I was wondering if you could, because what, what we like to do is often is to play out if, if we're talking about something specific. So we've spent quite a long time deep diving into, into Welcome Home. If we were going to play out after the interview with a track from the album, which, which one do you think, which, which cut from this, uh, from this album would you, would you like us to encourage people to, to, to sample? Uh, Dreams is pretty good. Um, sleeping in the night or dreams, I would say. Dreams is a lot. It was a live um, improvisation that I recorded with a Zoom microphone um, at my at one of my gigs, and so uh, yeah, that one that one I, I, is a good one for sure. I, I think that's a good one to to listen to. Cool, cool. And have you got any shouts that you'd like to 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 give to to people who may be listening? Um. Well, let's see. Uh, I'd like to give a shout out to uh, Chris Skeleton Lipstick because he's just a great guy. Love that guy. Yeah. Just a champion of everyone. Yes. Yeah, and then also um, just a shout out to um, to Telepath, who's still making awesome music and pushing the envelope. I've got to get out to um, to see one of Chris's shows. For sure, like every time I every time I see the the, the kind of um, the albums from from nights that they've had, it's mainly in Philly, isn't it? They've got some shows. Someone's running shows with them in the West Coast as well, right? Yeah, they look like such an eclectic group of people. It's just like everything that I imagine Vaporwave IRL to be is just all these disparate hordes of um, wonderfully interesting and wacky people coming together. It looks like so much fun and. 
that, that's the dream for us to get out there and put on a show ourselves, but also to to get out there to one of his shows. I think for sure. Yeah, he can really, man. He's he's got it going on. Like he can, he knows what he's doing. He really does. He really does. Uh, yeah, Enzo. I reckon if if we turned up at one of those with some USB sticks full of jungle and hardcore and stuff, I reckon it would go down like a storm. Playing like uh, UK like uh, 90s UK dance music, or it could be a disaster. It sounds like a beautiful idea. Yeah, yeah, it's one or the other, isn't it? It could be, yeah. it could end up people shouting free bird at us. Who knows? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, Joel, I just want to thank you so much for for teaming up with us for this release. It's a real honor to be working with you on this project, and of course, we have another project down the line which we can talk about in due course. Um, but it, it, it's uh, always grateful for, for you taking the time to chat and I can't wait to get you in front of a camera for the film. I think it's going to be really fascinating. You offer a really detailed and interesting uh, perspective on the scene. And uh, yeah, just thank you so much for, for being involved. And yeah, yeah, thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Nice job. We'll IRL soon, man. Lovely. Stop recording on your on your whatnots now. I don't yeah. think we, I don't think we need an outro. Yeah. <laughs>